Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. Hey, listeners, before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Mystery. Mystery makes meaningful connections for employees at work. By breaking down silos and engaging employees, Mystery boosts morale and builds connections across teams by curating virtual events based on employees' shared interests. By matching the right people with the right events, Mystery Events drives an average attendance of 87% compared to the industry average of 50%. With hundreds of quality vetted events, Mystery has something for every team. For a limited time, listeners of the HR Works podcast can get two events for the price of one. Head over to trymystery.com slash hrworks. That's trymystery.com slash hrworks to book your first event and get your second one free. In today's episode, we're joined by Claire Barnes, Chief Human Capital Officer at Monster. With more than 20 years of experience working in communications, tech, and information services, Claire Barnes has been at Monster since 2018 and was recently named Chief Human Capital Officer, where she leads Monster's global human resources strategy. Claire has played leading roles in human capital planning for brands such as Verizon and Thomson Reuters. She is passionate about equality, engagement, and leading successful and effective teams. We brought Claire on today to talk about something we're seeing as a trend in the recruiting space, and that's changing benefits. So we're excited to dig into that with Claire, but let's get her introduced first. So Claire, welcome to the HR Works podcast, and thanks for joining. Thank you, Josh. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, and again, as I mentioned, I'm really excited to talk about all the changing benefits that we're seeing from organizations as they look to recruit and engage with the talented market that's out there right now. But before we get started, I'd love to share a bit more about you and talk about your journey and what led you to pursuing a career in human resources and people operations. Yes, I would love to say I plan to be an HR professional since I was a kid, but that's absolutely not the case. <laughs> so I'm sure uh, is the situation for many HR professionals. Um, actually, I my college degree is in English literature, so I did not know what I wanted to do when I left school. I did not know what I wanted to do when I left college, um, but I was always passionate about communication, storytelling. I was very engaged in that side of things. So when I left college, I literally went and did a number of different contingent assignments. And one of those assignments ended up being in an HR department. And it just really resonated with me as something that I felt um, really sort of connected with my values because I could see the opportunity working in HR gives you to connect human potential to business success. And at that point, you know, I was filing, I was doing data entry. I wasn't in a strategic (laughs) job, but I think I saw that opportunity and also that privilege, because I think it is a privilege, you know, what we do in HR, we have conversations, we make decisions that are life impacting, you know, whether somebody gets a job or if they don't get a job, um, So to me, that made me think, okay, this is something I want to do. So I looked into it and I actually initially put myself on a master's in human resources management. Soon after that, I got a job working for Prometric, which is actually a US assessment company. And 
they had just won a contract, a major contract in the UK. So it was very much a startup organization. And I gained so much experience in HR working at Prometric. I literally did talent management, recruiting, employee relations, and I loved it. And I had a wonderful boss who really pushed me out of my comfort zone um, and to take on things that I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to do myself. And that's really where I found a passion for business partnering. And then in my career, I, I moved through different organizations, primarily because of the global focus. So my other passion, and you mentioned it at the beginning, diversity, inclusion, uh, working with lots of different people from different backgrounds. That's something I'm incredibly passionate about. So I was lucky enough to begin that sort of global journey, working at Verizon and then at Thomson Reuters um, thereafter, where I progressed to, to VP of HR. And then I joined Monster about four years ago. Initially, I was brought in to set up really the global HR operations side of Monster. Um, and then a couple of years ago, right at the start of the pandemic, I was promoted to global head of HR. So it was a, a baptism of fire. <laughs> what, but... what better time to start a new chapter? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I love what I do. And I, like I said at the beginning, I still feel that connection. I think it's really important to have the connection to the business, but it's equally as important to have that connection to individuals and employees. And so that's really what I'm passionate about. That's what drives me. Oh, that's so great. And it's such a great journey. Thank you for sharing that, Claire. It's always so interesting talking to HR professionals like yourself and asking that question about their journey. So few start out looking for a career in human resources. Oftentimes that career finds them through their passions and just through their interests. And it leads to eventually wanting to pursue careers, working with people and finding that potential in people and making that possible. Great hearing that story. And I love hearing so many of the unique paths that lead to these important careers and journeys that we're all on. So thank you for sharing that. All right. So Claire, as I mentioned at the start, really want to look at the shifting, shifting market that we're seeing with talent coming out of the pandemic. Some may call it the Great Recession. Some also call this the Great Reshuffle that we're in. Either way, it's competition for talent. Also coupled with challenges we're seeing just economically as the cost of resources is going up. It's harder for companies to compete and provide maybe all the benefits that they would like to. So I really want to dig into all that we're seeing in the benefits market at the moment. So let's start here with so much emphasis being placed on recruiting and the idea of employee value proposition and employer branding. What are some of the more valued and sought after benefits that we're currently seeing in this talent market? It's a really good question. And I think it's shifted over the past couple of years because of the pandemic. So we were thrown into a situation where we had to work differently. And for some organizations and industries that meant working from home, for others, that's not possible. The frontline uh, healthcare workers, but also some of those in retail, um, that's not been an option. But I think the one thing that we see, and we see it consistently when we look at the data that we receive from our monster surveys, is that employees and candidates are valuing health, well-being, and flexibility benefits the most. Um, it's really interesting because whilst more than half of workers are looking for the opportunity to work from home, I think it's 19 percent. It's, it's a very small number. Yes, 19 percent of employees are offering work from home as a potential um, option for employees. You know, we've seen it. We've seen some of the big tech companies who were 100 percent work from home are trying to bring employees back in. 
Um, but having that opportunity to have the flexibility around how you work has become incredibly important for employees. Things like healthcare, health benefits, flexibility, but also things like self-care days or unlimited vacation time, those have also become more fundamental as we've learned more about um, how we have to look after ourselves, right? right? It's a great time of reflection and something we never anticipated would happen, but that's what's um, become incredibly important to employees. Um, clearly, salary is always going to be important, but the benefits aspect and the culture and the values and employee value proposition of an employer um, is equally important. You also see it when you look at the generations and you look at the next generation coming into the world of work, the importance they place on mental well-being and well-being overall. That whole dynamic of benefits is shifting currently. Yeah, that's so well said. And you're absolutely right. I think the newer generation of workers that is coming into the workforce are not only talking about well-being and wellness, they're living that. That's a priority just in life. And so that, of course, is going to be something they look for and try to match with their employer. You look back, I mean, even 10 years prior, and I think the understanding of wellness was very different. The mental component certainly wasn't at the forefront as it is today, where burnout is more freely talked about. And that's just something we've continued to see shift. And especially the last two years, I think, just taught us as all employees what to value in your benefits and really take a new understanding of what's offered in your benefits. I think, again, those last two years being such a different and for some tumultuous time, it certainly caused a lot of us to reassess and see, okay, what is available? What's my organization offering me? How do I make best use of those benefits? So now in 2022, I think we're taking a new stock of, okay, what is important and what are we looking for going mm-hmm. forward? That, that's, that's all really interesting. Absolutely. One thing I had mentioned as well is we're now also dealing with the challenge of rising mm-hmm. operating costs. So businesses are now being forced to make a decision with, okay, what are we valuing with our benefits? What benefits can we afford to provide our employees versus those we may need to cut just to keep operating costs positive and be productive? So what are some of those benefits that maybe we're seeing impacted in this current labor market by organizations? Um, I think some of the benefits are the benefits that came during the pandemic. So you see um, a mixture of benefits around well-being, but also parental leave. The other one, which seems to be um, something which employers are having to look at, is really skilling and training which is also something when we survey our candidates and our database, 45% of those surveyed will say that they value an employer that provides them with training and development opportunities. And so taking away some of those benefits is is really something that hits home from a a sort of a well-being perspective and a carer perspective If you think about parental leave or if you think about parental or care benefits, we know that more than a third of um, those surveyed are carers in one way or another. But actually only 17 percent of employers are offering paid leave and sabbaticals above the statutory minimums. Um, And that's something which we know employees value. You know, they will change employer to work for a company that supports their family life, you know, whether that's children, whether it's elder care, spousal care, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are caring for others. And if they work for a company that can't support that, um, that's a huge factor in making their life 
potentially more stressful, more difficult. And so they look for alternatives, which is a risk from a retention perspective for employers. Yeah, that's a great point. It's something that, again, so many of us learned about in the last two years. When you got to experience that previously, it was probably tough to imagine, hey, I can be available for caring for family members while also balancing a career. It was probably a bit of having to be either in the office or at home caring. To learn that you could do it in tandem and together has probably changed perspective for so many workers who now see, hey, I'd like to find someplace where this can still be possible, where this was a great experience. I'd like to continue that. And this is something that maybe once didn't even hit my radar is now a possibility that mm. I should be considering. Certainly something interesting. And But to learn, again, that only 17% of organizations are actually offering that and putting that at the forefront really, to me, signals an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And some of that even avoids just cost. That's just being comfortable with a new approach, too. There, there's maybe not even a cost associated to that. But the benefit could certainly outweigh it. I, th- I think a lot of it goes to the point of really understanding your employee base and what's important to them. So one of the things that we do at Monster, and I know other employers do it too, is we have a monthly engagement survey. And in that engagement survey, we ask the full remit of questions. I mean, it's not the same. You know, I can imagine some people thinking, oh, I can't imagine having to answer 30 questions a month. It's not that much. It's about 10 questions. And it randomly selects subjects. So things like benefits, reward, career development, strategy. But what we're doing is we're getting feedback all the time from our employees about what's important, what's working for them. And so if we have to make a decision and all employers and companies are in this difficult decision where, to your point, there's rising costs, we're under pressure from the economy, we have had to hire in this incredibly difficult market where talent is extremely expensive and now we have to try and find a way through um you know the economic pressures that we're facing so we do have to make difficult decisions but i think having data which tells you really what's important to your employees is invaluable in making those decisions so if it's if employees are really valuing the care aspect but they're not valuing another aspect of a benefit which you offer, then it kind of makes the process easier. And also when you communicate the message, you can say, you know, we looked at what you said, we looked at what you use. So another another sort of data point should be how many people are utilizing benefits, if it's paid time off, how many people are taking PTO, or we have self-care days, for example, how many people are using them? And how many queries are we getting coming into HR? How many people need support on X, Y, and Z? And I think if you have that and you can tell the story, of course it doesn't make it better because nobody wants the benefit taken away from them. But at least it demonstrates you've listened and you've tried to use the funding that you do have in the way which best supports employees. So I think the listening part is sometimes what employers miss, and that's absolutely crucial. Yeah. I mean, that's the opportunity to understand what your employees value in their benefits. Look, each organization, each workforce will be unique in their corporate culture and you build that over time. But understanding, okay, here's where our workforce is going and these benefits that I may think as an HR leader are important to protect, may not, the workforce may not feel that way. And asking those questions, having those conversations is so crucial just to understand where you need to prioritize in making some of those difficult decisions. Because I'm sure we're seeing it too. Some of those decisions probably cut benefits that were once heavily relied upon. 
if you're not checking back in, if you're not being transparent, you'll get a negative reaction from your workforce that sometimes may be very tough to recover from. Mm-hmm. There's knowing the, how volatile the market is currently with opportunities. That's the last thing you need is to see talented individuals rethinking their opportunity or looking elsewhere because, again, they don't feel their employee value proposition aligns with where they're looking to go. Absolutely. And I think because they don't, you know, that often employees will join an organization because of that employee value proposition and what they believe the culture to be. So if you go about and make big decisions, which are counter to what employees are looking for, then, you know, you're in a situation where you have to be able to explain that and articulate why you did it. If there is um, sentiment in the organization, which demonstrates where the value lies for employees, then you can demonstrate that. I think we're under a lot of pressure to save money. I mean, I think all organizations are under that pressure and our employees understand that. They don't, like I said before, they don't want benefits to be taken away, but you know, we all have to manage our own household expenses, right? If we have less coming in, we can spend less. So getting that balance and finding that balance, but listening to employees is incredibly important and also protecting the values of your organization. So if you're one of your um, values in your EVP is around well-being and supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion, as an example, things like cutting leave benefits are incredibly impacting for those who you're going to attract into the organization and those who you're going to keep into the organization. Because we still know that women um, take on the, the, the burden of care in the modern world. And if you look at that from a, uh, a perspective of diversity, women of color take on even more of the care. So if you don't have support for those groups, you're not going to attract them into your organization. So you have to really think about what are our values here? What are we trying to achieve? And actually do our benefits support those? And if we have to make a cut, what are the ones we absolutely can't cut? And where do we have the opportunity to say, you know, it's a nice to have, or it's a benefit we brought in, but actually not many people are using it. That's what you have to look at. Right. So communication obviously being at the forefront there, but is that the starting point for making that decision of what to keep and what to let go when HR leaders are probably faced with that decision of deciding, hey, these are the benefits we're going to need to unfortunately let go. Where do you start? So I think it's um, it's looking at the data you have available. And if you don't have that, that kind of communication from employees, if you don't have the engagement survey process, survey the employees, reach out to them, do focus groups. Um, but also looking at benefits utilization, looking at, um, like I said before, if you have a system or even emails, if your um, HR team are receiving emails from employees about what kind of support they need, just look at kind of the, the history of the last 12 months, what's important to them um, before you make that decision. It's tough. And I think any HR professional listening to this will think, we never want to take benefits away from employees and we're put in these really difficult positions where we have to do that but i think if you can explain it and you can articulate that we've tried to prioritize what we feel is right for you based on the feedback we have it's an easier message it's not an easy message but it's an easier message easier yeah so to me i think you absolutely start with listening to employees and also looking at are there options within your benefits where you can make changes 
um, which are not particularly employee impacting, but which save costs. So it might be that you have subscription services and actually only 20% of your organization is, is utilizing that. So can you reduce the number of subscriptions you have? So rather than offering it to everyone, you know, have some kind of process which people have to go through to, to actually join that subscription on the basis that you know it's not highly utilized. So I think looking at the data, looking and, and listening to employees is the most important starting point. Those both make so much sense. Those are great ideas. So when you're making changes to benefits, and let's look at it not just even in cutting, but even adding benefits and the, the positive opportunities, what's the best way to communicate that to a workforce? Is it by email, as you mentioned? Is it holding stand-up meetings when you can and getting in front of teams face-to-face? What do you see as some of the best approaches to communicating benefit changes? Um, I think it's a little bit all of the above. So for me, when you're talking to a group of individuals, people listen and learn in different ways. So you'll have a group of people that will always read the email. You'll have a group of people that never read the email. Um, And I think we have to think about how do you connect with the majority of people? So things like town halls or meetings where you're sharing benefits information, they're important, um, but important to keep it simple, straightforward, (laughs) not get into too much detail and particularly not to get into detail, obviously about individual circumstances. The other thing that I think is really important is to make sure your managers are fully engaged in the process because employees work for their managers and we know if you look at the research employees leave companies or stay with companies because they have a good manager so making sure that the manager is well informed on the benefits change the reason for the benefits change so they can have conversations with their employees because the employee is more likely to go to the manager than they are to call me although some do but they're more likely to because they feel more comfort in doing that so i think it's a a combination The other thing I think that's really important in this is you can bring in or take out all the benefits that you want to, but you have to demonstrate you have the culture where those benefits are accepted and encouraged to be used. So, for example, we introduced self-care days during COVID. Everybody has a couple of extra days a year which they can use however they want. But the idea is they take time away from work for their mental health. That's great. And but we have to show as leaders that it's okay to do that. So talking about the importance of your own mental health experiences that you've had in the past, opening up and, you know, where you can being vulnerable or demonstrating, talking about what you've done on your self-care day to demonstrate to employees, you can take this. This isn't a hollow benefit. I think that's really important too. I think the, um, the saying is culture starts at the top, but it sticks to the walls. That's what always is in my brain. That's a great, that's a great one. I like it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you have to demonstrate this is okay. You know, it's the same with things like unlimited PTO. You see in a lot of organizations where they bring in unlimited PTO, people actually take less because they feel that actually can't take three weeks off work because that's just not the done thing or even I'm, I'm European, right? But in... <laughs> In the US, you take two weeks (laughs) off work, which I know is not the done thing. But actually, you have to demonstrate and lead by example. Actually, it is fine. Take, it's unlimited. Take your week off here. Take the week off there. Don't feel guilty about it. This is what we do. Um, And that's as important as the messaging and, you know, whether it's a 
all hands or a an email or a video i think that whole leading by example is incredibly important right as you mentioned em- employees are looking up to their managers for example they they have a comfortability to reach out to them when there are questions but also they're looking to them as to get the example of how to operate so if your managers aren't taking advantage of the benefits and making sure that they're prioritizing mental health, mental wellness, and taking the proper PTO uh, or staying off of email on mental health days, uh, that sets the precedent throughout the organization. And that, that certainly plays back into the culture. I, I like to, in talking about the communication, just to go back to that, that just goes back to flexibility and understanding mm-hmm. that there's maybe just not one direct way to communicate and having some flexibility with offering different platforms to share and communicate benefits changes utilizing town hall and in-person opportunities, but also being succinct and putting things into email and offering maybe multiple or various touch points to communicate with an organization and just knowing your people too. I think understanding that there's not one size fits all for organizations mm-hmm. communicating, know what your culture is and how they respond best. Absolutely. So one question I've got for you, Claire, is we're talking about EVP and benefits for that matter. Are there any benefits that organizations should be looking at adding in- into their programs? to really drive some EVP and create some added value? Yeah, I think well, we talked already about the value which we see that employees and candidates are putting on their own well-being. And we see in the numbers that more than 80% of our respondees have said they have prioritized their well-being over the past couple of years. And I think more than 50% have prioritized their well-being at work. So people are much more aware of, I need to be thinking about my health, whether that's physical health, mental health, my overall health. And it is harder in some situations. I'm sitting here working from home, but creating that kind of um, switch between work and home because so much of the lines are being blurred. So for me, I think employers need to look at what benefits can we provide that support overall well-being And that could be things like um, support for childcare or emergency care. It could be um, counselling because I think it's one in three of us will experience some kind of mental health condition in our lifetime. So things like counselling and having access to counselling or an employee assistance programme are also incredibly important. One of the things that we offer, um, we offer a mindfulness app at uh, Monster, and we found that to be incredibly popular with our employees. They always ask when their new code is coming for the, for the Mindful <laughs> app. But it's because we're looking at, at it holistically. The other benefits that you can do things like um, there are providers you can work with who track physical health. So things like walking challenges, um, healthy eating, all of those things employees are much more aware of probably because of COVID of what they need to do to be looking after themselves. And the more as an employer you can do to support that, I think the better. Um, The other aspect goes back to the point that I raised around training. So we know that we are in an age where, you know, there's digital transformation, things are changing and there is a requirement or a need for us to reskill some of the workforce So working for organisations that really focus on training, development, skilling is something which we're seeing is increasingly important to candidates. And if you 
don't have the option to do that, um, I think that does put you at a disadvantage. So even if you can't necessarily afford to go out and partner with a provider, think about, you know, what's our internal upskilling program? Is there a way we can use on the job coaching or, uh, you know, training through action learning? I think that's very much more important to a candidate at this time than it has been in the past. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you're showing candidates with both of those that you care about them as a person and their wellness beyond just what they're doing in their career, but then also that you're, you are focused on their career growth beyond just what they're doing in their current role in their current job, but you're thinking, how can we grow? How can we upskill and set you up for that next opportunity, which hopefully is within the same organization, uh, but that you're, again, thinking about their full person and their advancement and their opportunities beyond just what they're doing in their 40 hours a week. And that's that's really interesting and certainly something that is more of a mindset shift than anything else in looking at your benefits and trying to focus more on, again, that employee as a full person. Mm, absolutely. Some great advice there you're sharing with us, Claire. So thank you for that. So I want to change gears a bit. As we've been talking about so much that's shifted over the last two years, what have you learned personally over the last two years that you feel has made you a better leader, something you've been able to incorporate into your day-to-day? It's a really good question. And like I said, I got this job March 2020. Actually, I started the job the week that we closed our offices and sent everybody home. So it's a little bit of a being thrown in at the deep end and everybody talks about unprecedented times. Um, Obviously, we had no point of reference to think about how we should manage this. But when I think back on what I've learned and what I take with me, I think one of the most important things which we learn and which we still value through that experience is we became i think more vulnerable and closer as an organization and part of that is because i have a a nine-year-old she was seven at the time when we went through covid so she was sat next to me doing homeschooling while i was trying to work um and being vulnerable and open about that and sharing my experiences which were not always positive and you know it's difficult trying to to teach when you're not a teacher um and do a full-time job but i think sort of making that normal for our employees because we were all experiencing so many common things we couldn't see family we couldn't see friends we had people who were sick who we didn't know if they were going to be okay we were all afraid of getting this virus and I think it opened up this sort of level of authenticity and vulnerability that we didn't have before we had that layer between work and home and we kept things a bit more private and certainly for me at Monster that's something that I've tried to take so even when I, I do a monthly newsletter that I share with employees, I will always talk about my home life. I will always talk about what's going on because actually I think that element of trust and um, respect that we have forever for, for each other grew during that two years. And I don't want to lose that. Yes, I probably would yeah. prefer not getting the knock on the door every five minutes <laughs> or my cat walking past the back of the screen. But um, the reality is we learn about each other. And actually, that, that's really valuable when you're working with a team. I think it brings you closer and it helps you understand each other in a way that we didn't have that opportunity before. So out of that awful situation, there was some positive. 
great way to look at it. And there definitely is a new level of connectedness that you're just seeing between teams for that exact reason. As you mentioned, just vulnerability became so much more accepted by all of us where we said, yeah, here's my home. Here's my background. Here's my cat that has walked through the screen or my dog barking <laughs> in the background. And, but we could all relate to that too, right? Mm-hmm. So even though we were so separated in our individual workspaces, we also got a lot more connected and kind of leveled the playing field with so many of us too, where we all felt, hey, we're all having the same stresses or similar stresses. We're all in this together. So there was a unique kind of bonding and connecting that that did take place in that. So that's great. It's a great takeaway. Yeah. Also to look at just something we can share with our audience, something I really like to look at is we all pick up great advice along the way as we're advancing in our careers. So do you have a good piece of advice that you've leaned on that's really helped you in growing your career, Claire, that you could pass along to our audience and pay it forward a bit? Yeah. I mean, I've been lucky enough to work for some great leaders who've given some really good advice. If I think about sort of advice that I live by in my job on a day-to-day basis, really, I think as an HR professional, whatever you do in HR, my advice is always lead with empathy. And it goes back to what I said earlier. My first HR director always said to me, we're in this position where you know you are going to be with someone when you're changing their life and no we're not doctors and nurses we don't save lives but like I said before you could give someone a job or you could take a job away and that is a position which hugely impacts how an individual feels and so we have this responsibility to really consider what they take away from that experience. And so for me, when I think about all of the different things we do in HR, which are just part of our diary, you know, they're part of our day-to-day life, interviewing candidates, giving feedback to candidates, dealing with employee relations or performance issues, giving people a promotion, you have to think about how that experience will make somebody feel because that's how they remember it. That's what they take. And so you know, leading with empathy, treating people with respect in the way that they would want to be treated um, and not losing sight of that because it's easy to. I've been in this career for, you know, 20 years I've worked in HR, but you have to remember that is a position of privilege and um, it's important that you help employees experience that in the most positive way possible. So I think that would be it. That's fantastic. And it's so true, right? Leading with empathy, understanding that the maybe 10 to 15 minute task in your day, in your calendar, may just be one of many that you're going through. But for that person you're connecting with, that may be so impactful and make such a difference. So understanding that, understanding the impact of what you're doing, what you're saying when working with teams is so crucial. That's a great piece of advice, Claire. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. All right. So we're here with Claire Barnes, Chief Human Capital Officer from Monster. Now, Claire, before we wrap up here, do you have anything you'd like to plug, anything you'd like to promote and share with our audience that you're excited about? Um, well, I mean, on a personal level, I am excited that things are getting back to normal after COVID. I've actually been able to travel a little bit. And nice. um, some of you who follow sport will know that in England, the uh, women's football, or I should say soccer team, uh, won the Euros. My daughter is an avid football player. So I'm really looking forward to her season starting. It's starting uh, this week. 
and seeing how that goes. So I think that's something I'm looking forward to. On a professional level, look at Monster, we release insight, we release survey results, we have thought leadership webinars, which I would encourage people to uh, jump on and listen to. We bring in some great experts um, to share their stories and their advice. So you can find all that on monster.com or through LinkedIn. Also, I share a lot of material on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to follow me, I'm claire.barnes um, slash LinkedIn. So yeah, I'm, I'm uh, excited about what the future holds. That's great. And, and yeah, we'll provide some links to uh, all those sites within our site post on HR Daily Advisor, including Claire's LinkedIn. So we'll get that up there for you, Claire. But thank you for sharing that. That is fantastic. And just before we wrap here, one question I like to ask of all of our guests, and it's about motivation. When you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, what is the one thing that really gets you motivated to start your day? Um, I think for me, uh, the thing that motivates me is really bringing out the potential in people. So we have this crazy opportunity that we're able to, to do that and we're able to see the potential in people and help them, you know, create wonderful careers which impact their lives in, way, in ways which um, you could never imagine. But also we have the opportunity to do things which are small things which massively um, help and support individuals. So to me, it's seeing and supporting uh, that potential and also because businesses wouldn't be successful without great people. And yeah, that's, that, that's what gets me up, making sure that we have great people and, you know, a great environment to work in. That's great. And it all ties back to what got you started in a career in human resources. Yes. That's, that passion for people. <laughs> yeah. You're still living it. Fantastic. Well, look, Claire, thank you again for joining the HR Works podcast. Thank you for sharing so much about just the current state of benefits, where benefits trends are going, and really what organizations can look at to drive their employee value proposition and make themselves attractive to the talent market and really great places to work and keep building their corporate culture. So thank you so much for sharing all of your great insight. Uh, it was great connecting with you, and I hope we can keep this conversation going and have another conversation next time. Great. Thank you very much, Joe. All right. Well, thanks, Claire. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible. 